I'm David Perkins. And I'm Shari Tishman. Welcome to Episode 6 of Season 2 of our Thinkability Podcast. This will be our last episode for this season, so we thank you for joining us. Today's topic is one that's on almost all of our minds from time to time, and that's the topic of willpower. And what we want to explore today is what we're calling willpower and will wisdom. Our plan is to dig into two big questions. What is willpower? And secondly, why does it matter what we think it is? So here's something to ponder to start us off. What's a personal example of when you tried to exercise your willpower and got somewhere? Think about that for just a second. We'll try to answer too. So, Shari, not to put you on the spot, but what's an example from your corner? Well, I thought of something that probably other people think of as well. I remembered a time when I wanted to start and stick with an exercise regimen. I'm remembering a time when I decided that I was going to get in shape. So I developed a plan and I did get going and I stuck with it, even when the going got tough from time to time. How about you, Dave? Well, one thing it reminds me of is shopping for art. Years ago, my wife and I used to shop for not very expensive art uh, in the Boston area and other areas. And we often faced a dilemma where we kind of liked to work, but weren't entirely sure. We would then just decide, get it or not. What we learned to do was to walk out of the store. Now, walk out of the store wasn't a don't buy decision. It was a buy time decision. And after walking out of the store, we asked ourselves, do we feel drawn back later that afternoon or even next week? And sometimes we did. And when we looked at the work again, did we still like it? And sometimes we did, and sometimes we didn't. So resisting that initial impulse just to buy or even just to decide really paid off in the long run. So there's an example from my corner. That's a great example, Dave. I love it. And, you know, our two examples together seem to suggest that there are two types of occasions when we call on willpower. For one, and I, this was in your example, Dave, we call on willpower to help us resist things, as you said, like resisting making a quick decision or resisting an impulse buy, we might even resist a second helping of dessert. And then a second kind of time that we call on willpower is to help us start with something like an exercise regimen and persist with it when it gets challenging and even when the going gets tough. So it's sort of a resist and a persist, different, different kinds of willpower exercises. Well, maybe that gives us a glimpse of what willpower is for. Let's ask the next question. What is willpower? I mean, what is it made out of? What is this thing, this power that we summon up to help us resist things like temptations or to persist through obstacles and challenges? One easy answer that's kind of implicit in, in the language we're using is that willpower is the power or capacity or strength to exert our will in the face of resistance. And that's why we speak of willpower. But let's look more closely at what's really going on. For a bit of a preview, we'll try to explore three themes here. Theme number one, willpower as strength of will, some kind of inner strength. Number two, willpower as wisdom of the will, the power of will strategies alongside whatever raw strength you have. And third, what 
does that imply for learning and teaching willpower? So let's get started on strength of will. Mm. Well, strength of will, that's a good phrase, and it sure sounds like it makes sense. But what kind of strength? You know, a familiar way of thinking about that strength is that strength of will is like a character trait that's constant across different situations. You know, some people have more of it, some people have less. And we can probably all think of people who seem to have real strength of will, people who are good at resisting and good at persisting. And we can probably also think of people who don't seem to have so much strength of will, people who get pushed around a lot by impulses and distractions. So that's one sort of commonish idea about where strength of will comes from. It comes from a character trait. But let's be cautious here. In fact, let's call this view the naive character strength view. Why naive, you might ask? Because research shows that it's really a little more complicated than that. Tell us something about that, Dave. Hmm. There's a more sophisticated strength view from Roy Baumeister, who's a social psychologist, has a considerable research base. For a good metaphor, we can think of willpower as a kind of mental muscle. Like a muscle, it gets tired with use. For instance, suppose you don't particularly like to exercise, but you manage to get yourself to do your morning exercise program. Good so far. But then, you're less likely to resist attempting dessert at lunch. Technically, this effect is called ego depletion. You got your exercise done, but that has drained some of your ego strength. But here's the good news. Next day, after rest, that willpower muscle will be back to full strength. All this has been demonstrated over and over again by Baumeister and others. There's another twist, though. Activities we might not think of as willpower challenges also tire that willpower muscle. Oh, for instance, studying something interesting or working through an intriguing problem. You don't experience this as a problem of willpower. You're glad to be doing it. You want to do it, but the effort still tires the willpower muscle. At lunch, that tempting dessert will be just a little harder to resist. Hmm. That is a more sophisticated view of sort of the muscle view of um, willpower. And it strikes me that it has really useful implications for self-management. For one, it's a good idea, as you say, not to tackle multiple willpower challenges together in order not to tire out your willpower muscle. You know, instead of planning a day filled with willpower challenges, like starting an exercise regime, resisting dessert, walking out of the store, whatever, just choose one or maybe two willpower challenges that are the highest priority and tackle the other ones at another time. And I guess another implication for self-management is that it's good to remember that high-demand cognitive tasks of any kind use up willpower resources, as you say, Dave, even if the task itself isn't a specific willpower challenge. I suppose it's worth remembering that high-demand cognitive tasks include chaotic situations that call for a lot of mental attention or navigation. So we should be cautious about tackling a big willpower challenge, say, on a day when we have a lot of other crazy stuff going on. Well, maybe that's it. Maybe we figured out the strength piece of the willpower puzzle. The strength doesn't come from willpower being a fixed character trait. It's more like a muscle that gets tired, but we can learn how to manage it. All done? All set, Dave? 
Oh, if only. Not quite. It turns out that the idea of the will getting tired seems roughly right, but it's not quite as straightforward as one might hope. It was worth keeping in mind that willpower is a mental capacity that, like other capacities, for instance, intelligence, is nested inside a set of beliefs. Our beliefs about what willpower is and how it works can play a role in how we get better at it, just like our beliefs about what intelligence is shapes the way we think about developing it. For example, there is some very interesting research conducted by Carol Dweck and others that suggests that when children are told a story that frames willpower exertion as positive, as an energy-giving activity, rather than a depleting experience, then they get better at subsequent willpower challenges, like resisting a temptation or delaying gratification. This doesn't mean that depletion isn't an important factor. It definitely is. But beliefs can still play a role. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, relatedly, while we're on the topic of beliefs, it's worth pointing out that views about willpower can vary across cultures and belief systems. You know, as we've said, willpower is about summoning the strength to do something hard, to persist and resist. The summoning the strength part is probably a cultural constant, but views about where the strength is summoned from can vary. Dave, people like you and I who come from an individualistic Western culture often see the source of that willpower strength as a matter of internal individual agency. That is, we get it from inside ourselves, we source it there. But one can see the source of strength is coming from elsewhere, maybe the natural world. Maybe one gets strength from spiritual or religious orientations, or the community of others, where we believe that our mental strength comes from has implications for willpower self-management because it suggests that what kind of environment to get ourselves in is important if we want to build, beef up our willpower capacity. Maybe we gather mental strength by being in nature, or we gather it from being among friends and family. Or maybe we gather it by turning to a spiritual practice like meditation or prayer. So maybe we should think about willpower even more broadly than some kind of strength. Which brings us to our second theme, the wisdom of the will. The wisdom of the will. Well, just to pick up on what you were saying, gathering mental strength by reaching for an inspirational belief or seeking out an inspirational environment isn't it in itself necessarily an exercise of that willpower muscle? It's a kind of strategic move. And there's so much more to the strategic side, a real broad wisdom of the will, we might say, all sorts of ways of maneuvering and organizing our lives to resist or persist. Everyday experience suggests some, and researchers have confirmed really quite a range of useful strategies. Hey, Shari, uh, just tell us about a few. Sure. Well, here are just a few common sense examples, which probably sound pretty familiar. I mean, one obvious one is avoiding tempting situations. And this is very familiar. If you want to reduce your consumption of pastries, don't buy them in the first place so that they're not in the house. And it, what's interesting is that's a strategic move, which you make not at the moment of a willpower challenge, but beforehand in order to have to avoid using your willpower in the first place. Another strategy is making public commitments. Put it on record. 
Tell your partner what you're trying to do or not to do through willpower. Tell your workmates. Tell a support group. When we go public beforehand about our willpower intentions, it's often easier to follow through on them. Another that comes to mind is sort of a self-pep talk and imagery. It might sound odd, but research shows that positive self-talk, you know, psyching yourself into a desired course of action, visualizing things or role models that can help you move forward, can help because they create energy and momentum so you don't have to rely as much on sheer willpower in the moment. Dave, what comes to mind for you? Well, let's see. Uh, Well, one is making specific plans. There's an extensive body of research from research psychologist Peter Golwitzer and colleagues, and it demonstrates how specific plans can help us a lot to follow through on our ideal intentions. For instance, if you're trying to start an exercise program, don't just say to yourself, I'll get started next week. What day? What time of day? What are you going to do? How long are you going to do it? You are far more likely to follow through on specific plans than on a general intention, even a general intention that really feels strong and honest. Goldwitzer called these plans implementation intentions. That is, not just good intentions, but how you aim to implement them. And here's another strategy, lowering the bar. Make an easy start on something you want to get done, but don't so much really want to do. Just spend 30 minutes on that chore today. That's it. Then tomorrow, it will be easier to pick up for a longer period. Or if it's not, well, keep at it for 30 minutes a day until it's done. Another familiar strategy is adding positive motivators to the mix. Well, if it's hard to get on the rowing machine or the exercise bicycle, have music. Listen to an audio tape. Put a TV in front of you and stream a program you like. So, there's some. Sorry, how about some more? Well, it's nice that we can think of a lot when we get going. Let's not forget the power of habit. You know, developing habits and routines is a really good way to reduce the need to use willpower in the first place. And in fact, it's sometimes said that the people who seem to have the most willpower aren't really using much willpower at all. And instead, they're relying on habit or routine. For example, Dave, picking up on the exercise point you made, you know, develop an exercise routine rather than having to summon up the willpower to drag yourself to the gym every time you start feeling out of shape. Or thinking about another kind of challenge, cultivate the habit of checking email or social media at specified limited times every day, rather than always having to summon the willpower to resist getting pulled into online rabbit holes. Another strategy, and this harks back to the point about conducive environments, is put yourself in a context that helps you source mental strength. And better yet, make a habit or routine of it. If nature does it for you, take a walk in nature daily. Develop a meditation practice, whatever helps. So I guess, again, the big message is there's a wisdom of the will that reaches far beyond doing the best you can with that will muscle. It's an important message. But, Dave... Do you think there are any catches? Oh, yeah, there are always catches. Well, none of this means that the wisdom of the will makes willpower challenges a slam dunk. Obviously, levels of challenge vary. A strategy that's good enough for one's challenge may not suffice for another. Also, contexts vary. 
what works to help you resist temptation or persist through an obstacle in one situation, it may not work so well in another. Also, some things we might want to do don't lend themselves very well to willpower. For instance, it's hard to will yourself to sleep. If anything, trying to go to sleep gets in the way. And it's hard to will yourself to like something you don't like. If, say, because your partner likes it, so you'd like to like it more. Oh, but you just can't. Also, people vary. What works well for you may not work so well for me. True. And also, we know from research that some plausible sounding and familiar strategies that we act as if would work really don't work very well at all. A classic example is New Year's resolutions, which have actually received a lot of research attention. They usually don't work very well, as many of us have experienced. You know, New Year's resolutions tend to be big and bold and hard to maintain over time. They're just too taxing. And funnily, one of the most common responses people have to a New Year's resolution not working out well is to try the same resolution next year with, no surprise, the same result. Another strategy that doesn't work very well is heavily emphasizing scary consequences. You know, when someone's painting a scary, bleak picture of what might happen if you don't use your willpower to do something important. But that tends to backfire, increasing stress and making it harder to follow through. And actually, that's an example of what's sometimes called in the research the backfire effect. And Speaking of the backfire effect, another backfire effect comes from, and this is not so surprising, really strident moralizing, having someone tell you or, or telling yourself, this is bad, terrible, awful, irresponsible. We tend to react against strong moralizing, you know, feeling that it's coercive and it actually can undermine our efforts. Well, thinking back to what we've talked about, I guess the bottom line is be proactive and flexible. Will wisdom means having strategies at hand, trying what seems promising, and if something doesn't work, trying something else, and watching out for backfire effects. So there's a bit of a picture, but what does all this have to do with learning and with teaching? Developing more willpower for oneself and making learning itself more effective generally, teaching others as a parent or perhaps as a team leader teaching in classrooms. Let's spend a few minutes looking at that. Mm. Well, you know, learning often involves resisting and persisting those two sort of types of willpower challenges we talked about earlier. In terms of persistence, it could be the oomph you need to start studying something, studying for a test or studying something you want to understand better, and then the oomph to really stick with it. In terms of resistance, it could be resisting the temptation to hurry through something and not check your work. Or actually, Dave, thinking back to an earlier podcast we did on expansive thinking, it could be the resisting the temptation to go with the easiest, obvious solution to a problem and instead really pushing yourself to look for creative alternatives. You know, that's sort of a resist and a persist combo there. Knowing how to do these kinds of things is part of mental self-management, something we try to teach or what's sometimes called self-regulated learning. Okay, so what advice can we give ourselves as learners and as teachers? Thinking back to the different ideas we mentioned, you know, maybe as a learner, an important thing is to beware of the character strength view of willpower. 
It might feel like a fixed trait when we're trying to summon it, for example, to persist in learning something hard. But you mentioned willpower is a lot more malleable and context-dependent than we think. And then there's the message about being proactive. We can learn to approach willpower challenges with, as you called it, Dave, the wisdom of the will, strategically using our mental muscle as as we can, but also using strategies that augment that muscle with sources of inspiration and strategies that help us maneuver past the heaviest challenges. As a teacher in the home, as a parent, or in the classroom, keep in mind the more sophisticated muscle view. Remember mental muscle depletion. When you put anyone in situations where they might need to call on willpower, consider the larger context. What are they doing immediately beforehand? And is it cognitively taxing? Also, keep in mind the connection to self-regulated learning. As part of smart mental self-management, encourage that will wisdom not just gutting through situations as best you can. So there it is. Let's try to move ourselves from a narrower conception of willpower to a broader one, from some kind of fixed character strength to the wisdom of the will. Yes. Well, I think that rounds it out. Thank you, listeners, for pondering the notion of willpower with us and for following Thinkability this season. We're excited to start our third season this coming September, so do please stay with us. And before we sign off, I want to mention one more thing. Dave recently wrote a book that's just become available on Amazon. It's called Surfing on Quicksand, Navigating a World of Information, Opinion, and Spin. It's about polarized viewpoints, where they come from, and the attitudes and kinds of thinking that help us get closer to a reasonable view of the world. Believe me, it's a great read, very smart, and very timely. I highly recommend it, and it's really quite synergistic with many of the themes we've been exploring on the Thinkability podcasts. If you're interested, just search for Surfing on Quicksand on Amazon. Thank you very much for that, Shari. For those who might be interested, hey, take a look, please. Well, remember, we'll be back in September for Season 3 of Thinkability. We hope you'll join us then. Meanwhile, as always, you can find all the Thinkability podcasts on the Project Zero website or on Substack or Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Shari, see you later. See you later, Dave.